Revolution 2.0. So I don't really want to experience that. I'm pretty sure most of you don't either. So um, that's what we're here to talk about. Hope everybody's having a good Friday evening. Um, just to recap, last show, uh, my pleasure to have Tom Rogers on last last call. Um, it was, it was a fun show. I thought uh, didn't quite get out of him. Uh, maybe a bit off more that I could chew and talked about too many subjects. So I'd like to invite Tom back on at some point in the future and discuss more in depth, uh, some of those controversial topics, you know, um, and, uh, speaking of sometimes we will discuss some controversial topics. You, you know, for instance, may, may not be religious or you might be, and I'm going to hit on both angles and just, you know, discuss it. So, um, you know, again, we might not always agree on something, but maybe, uh, that's how we learn to, uh, flush out new ideas. So anyways, a uh, couple announcements. Remember we do have a new chat board, final hour chat dot chatango.com C H A T A N G O.com. So final hour chat, all lowercase. If you ever feel like going there and dropping any links, any uh, info? Awesome. I was just testing it out. You could upload memes. You could upload links. Um, I don't think it'll link PDFs, but if you have a good um, uh, website you want to reference on some topics, that'd be cool. So be a good uh, little repository for information. Uh, also, you can email me, fhhost at protonmail.com, fhhost at protonmail.com, all lowercase. Check it too often, but I will try to check it more often as we move along and emails fixed. So, anyways, with that said, got a guest on tonight. I think you'll enjoy. Jeff um, comes here and we will talk about uh, tactical civics, and that's going to be an interesting topic, I think. Um, and the reason why I want to talk about some solutions is because you know again we can sit here all day and talk about how the government wastes our money and uh you know letting all these people across the border and giving them money and denying veterans you know health care that they pretty much deserve or you know americans something they deserve you know thank you we could talk about the fraud and the uh just the total disrespect for americans all day and, you know, I feel we do talk about it a lot here on RBN. And I just want to point out, like, when in the last 50 years has one law or rule or regulation or statute been passed that actually benefits actual Americans? I mean, I really, I can't think of one decent thing that has been passed in the last 50 years that actually benefits us. Um, 
Congress is really good at making you think something's going to happen when, in fact, nothing happens. And, you know, this uh, another another fact I want to point out, has one county or state in this country actually passed any sort of voter integrity laws? I mean, it's, it's, it's a complete joke, you know. I mean, they just, uh, it's like we go to a poll and, like, who would you like to win? Because if, if, you know, it doesn't matter, we're going to put in who we want, but who would you like to win? And that's basically what it is right now. So there's been no voter integrity laws passed, to my knowledge. And this country borrows, you know, something on the, on the order of $200 million every hour. Um, I think last year alone, it was $659 billion just to pay interest on our supposed debt. And they project that they're going to we're going to add 2 trillion in debt annually to the next in the next decade. So, you know, I guess that's that's the root of the big problem here, the, you know, financial control that uh a certain group exerts on everything, but you know, another another fact is very little of our uh, supposed covid relief money actually went to people that needed it. You know, they shut down the mom-and-pop businesses, let the big box stores stay open, reap in record profits, and, you know, again, nobody's saying much. Nobody's doing much about it. So this whole two-party system is an absolute joke, and it's not going to work. We're not going to vote our way out of this mess. And uh, people that believe that, um, I I don't know what to tell them, but I, I don't think most of the audience here believes that. So... One thing is for certain, though, there are a number of people that have a deep-held belief in things like the Constitution or religion, and maybe it would be to our advantage to play off that. Maybe we could use that as you know uh, a springboard in you know getting people to actually take part in what's going on, to actually speak out on what's going on, and uh, wake up to the realities of what we're seeing today. So. Again, sometimes we're not might not agree on a personal level with someone's belief systems, but at the end of the day, what does it really matter if you and I differ on religion or politics or whatever? We all really have a common enemy, and this enemy is not shy about making their intentions known. They're eugenicists, in my opinion. They want total and absolute control over every living system on the planet and non-living system, down to the micro level. Um, And basically they've criminalized what should be unalienable rights and God-given rights. And very few are saying much about it. So here we are, you know, it's 2024. It's a good old election year. And, you know, we could talk about current events and politics and all that stuff, but you know, there's plenty of people that are talking about that. So, that's why I wanted to invite on um, Jeff from Tactical Civics and, uh, you know, just explore some new ideas and different uh, angles of this that we could possibly look at and see if we can maybe get on board with something. Because, you know, I, I, I don't want to just, like, give up. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, apathy. There's a lot of um, indifference. And, and there's definitely a lot of uh, demoralization of people out there. And so, you know, a lot of people are just like, well, what does it matter if I vote? You know, and, you know, I get it, dude. I, what does it matter at this point? But are you aware of this, that, and the other thing? And a lot of times they're not, of course. And uh, so, anyways, Jeff, I see you arrived. Go ahead and introduce yourself. How you doing? Hey there. How you doing, Travis? Good. Good to have you on, man. Welcome. Good to be. Good to be here. Late at so night tell us, here. Tell us in, a little bit of a thirty thousand view uh, of tactical civics and why you think it's a good thing. And and I know some people that are pretty interested in it and like picking up on it. So I was kind of curious um, this whole idea and what's going yeah. on with this. Well, um, so why is tactical civics a good idea? You know, I came across tactical civics um, in the fall of twenty twenty two. And um, and like I'm sure 
everyone listening tonight. We all went through 2020 and 2021. We went through um, what was a, a very strategic and organized rollout of authoritarian uh, restrictions in 2020 as a result of COVID that, that kind of caught all of us by surprise, I believe. And then we saw uh, an election that in the wee hours of the morning um, was uh, very obviously um, stolen. And, you know, what they called the big lie. (laughs) Well, the big lie is that uh, there was no fraud. That's the big lie. Uh, You know, so I was angry like a lot of people were. And um, and I think a question that bounces around in people's minds is, well, what can we do? And then the idea that there must be something, there must be something that we can do. And, of course, we've been uh, conditioned to think over the course of our lifetimes and, and generations prior that that we really only have one or two pathways of recourse whenever the government steps outside of the limits that we gave it in the Constitution, which they've been doing daily for generations. But we've generations, we've, decades. Yeah, we've been conditioned to think that we have. Two pathways, two two avenues of, of recourse. One is the voting booth. The other right. is uh, in the court system, and that's it. I mean, we think that uh, if things aren't aren't going right, if if uh, if it seems to any reasonable person that uh, that the government is running roughshod over our liberties and uh, is acting in ways that are contrary to the Constitution, that we've only got two things we can do. We can go vote them out, or we can uh, sue to press our rights and to argue our case. And that's it. Well, that's not it. And, you know, I started looking for solutions um, in 2021, and I wasted a year of my life through an esoteric law theory uh, called the National Assembly Movement. Mm-hmm. Was still frustrated uh, after wasting that time chasing solutions down rabbit holes and and uh, never coming up with any rabbits. Felt like Elmer Fudd <laughs> right. chasing. Chasing Bugs Bunny. What, what was wrong with the National Assembly movement? What what uh what do you? Uh, they're trying opinion? to create a parallel system. They've got mm-hmm. you know they, they've uh, uh, on the surface it sounds reasonable, but then you realize that that they're trying to create a a parallel system that ultimately winds up being unconstitutional, and uh, they're they're trying to start as if the states haven't been settled, and the counties and the states haven't been settled, and we resettle. And so anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's fruitless. It's fruitless, and it inevitably will lead you down parallel uh, theories uh, to, you know, they, they would uh, inevitably weave through other ideas like uh, – state national movement and the 1871 corporation, the admiralty law and, and, you know, all of these different things. And, and eventually you're just, you're, you're, you're confused. And I remember when the lights came on for me and my wife is when we got a call from one of the leaders in Kentucky who said, Hey, we have somebody in Hopkins County that in our, our County that's interested in joining. Do you want to talk to him? And I said, no, I don't want to talk to them because I don't know what I would tell them because I'm still confused about what it is uh, 
precisely that we're trying to do. It just it, it doesn't seem like any – it's like a phantom. Yeah, I mean, it's there, and then when you reach out to grab it, it, it disappears or moves somewhere else. And, and then – and so, uh, you know, through the uh, remarkable – uh, resource of technology and social media. I was on Twitter Spaces, and I was talking about my frustrations, and I was talking about uh, you know some of the things that I was hoping for, looking for, and and there was a guy on a on a Twitter Space that I was on from uh, Kansas, and uh, he reached out to me on a back channel through DM, and we wound up talking on the phone, and. Uh, and I just uh, owe him a tremendous debt of gratitude because uh, he knew that I was, you know, very serious about solutions and finding solutions. And he said, "Brother, I just, I just want to make sure that whatever you do, you you strike rock, you know, that that you find something firm that you can stand on." And so I want to. Uh, put you in contact with a guy and he put me in contact with the CEO of tactical civics. And I called, we talked on the phone for about an hour and a half. He sent me three books, the great we sit W E dash S E T grand jury awake and time to start over America. I read through those books and, uh, and the rest is history. It was November of 2022. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, what I found was, a clear, actionable, strategic, purely constitutional solution, a real plan with specific tactical objectives that were squarely anchored in existing constitutional law and principles. And it, 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 uh, it utterly changed my life. And well, uh, I mean, I got—I just got to ask you, like, because because I know we're going to get some tough questions at some point, but this government operates completely outside of any constitution, right? And I, and I understand a lot of people believe in the constitution, and and and, yeah, but it really yeah, doesn't exactly. apply to this government at this moment. Yeah. Well, of course, it applies to this government. Here's the problem, though, and this is and this is. Why I found, and, and the word I use all the time, what I found in tactical civics was tremendous clarity. Because like you just said, uh, I believe in the Constitution, and I believed in the Constitution before, although I hadn't actually read it thoroughly. <laughs> and I didn't really understand the principles uh, that it was uh, framed upon what the foundation of it was. I didn't understand the lineage, the genealogy of our Constitution, uh, how far back it went in, in the evolution of English common law. There was a lot I didn't understand. And I didn't really understand who I was as a member of We the People. I didn't understand what that even meant. I didn't understand what popular constitutionalism was. And so... Uh, what the clarity that I found in tactical civics was was along this this these three specific lines is that tactical civics had identified they had diagnosed three fundamental problems that brought us to where we are today to what you just described a government where the constitution doesn't apply to them how did we get there? Like, how did we get to this point where our Constitution is nothing more than a revered document that may, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it may arouse certain feelings of nostalgia, but it's not really functioning right. as, you know, a, a, as a controlling uh, law. Hang, hang tight, Jeff. We got our first break here. Yeah. Hang tight. Come back in a minute. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. 
My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilajee as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilaji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilaji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilaji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. Charles de Gaulle once said, actually, it's difficult to envision in this regard any other criterion, any other standard than gold. Yes, gold, which does not change in nature, which can be made into either bars, ingots, or coins, which has no nationality, and which is considered in all places and all times the immutable and judiciary value par excellence. So when the question is, why gold? It's simple, my friends. The answer to that question is simply, why not? Like it or not, precious metals will always be the world's reserve currency, even though nations do not define their currency by their worth in, say, gold. Individuals still buy gold and silver to protect themselves from inflation. The more money a nation's central bank pours into the economy, the less value its currency, the dollar is, which means the price of everything else rises. $21 up for a bag of dog food, seeing that the dollar's cheap. That's why the cost of everything goes up. It's because the buying power, the value of the dollar is tanked. It's worth nothing. And the gold that your family would have owned in 1907 will buy at least the same amount of goods, if not far more. William McPhee once stated, it's extraordinary how many emotional storms one may weather in safety if one is ballasted with ever so little gold. The truth about money, gold versus cash in a crisis. Gold, a valuable thing to store. The power of gold in times of crisis. Historical sketch of paper currency. Oh, and beware the Ides of Rare Coin Dealers and Alan Greenspan's speech on gold and economic freedom. How interesting. I'm going to give you gold and silver in five easy lessons. Seeking out the most efficient and most secure route to owning gold and converting it into widely accepted currency is the next best thing to enjoying gold-backed currency, my friends. In a world of central bankers hell-bent on devaluing our savings, you need to own private gold standard. Contact me, Jeffrey Bennett at Kettle Moraine Limited, by calling our phone number at 602-799-8214. That's 602-799-8214. I've seen a monkey evolve into a man. I've seen a man evolve into a monkey. I've seen a junkie redeem himself with help. I've seen a wealthy man melt into the snow and blow his credit on a decongestant. The dyslexics breathe easy. People in the top tax bracket just keep looking for freebies, thumbing their noses at those in need of handouts. Talking panhandlers with secondhand clothes, living hand to mouth. Camping out on Capitol Hill. The fat cats are still insisting reparations be a jagged little pill. Today there's free vaccinations at the walk-in clinic. If you're lucky, you won't just be a guinea pig. Call me a cynic. I find it interesting on certain epidemic spread. More specifically, Welcome back. That song was made before uh, COVID, too. <laughs> Free vaccines at the walking clinic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're here with uh, Jeff Calhoun. Calhoun? Calhoun, yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, tactical civics, and yeah, man, I'm curious how, what's the plan to really get this government to wake up and, and stop you know, treating us so badly. What's, what, I know you have, I'm a little bit familiar. You have a, um, kind of a four part plan, but you also have some pillars of foundation too. Yeah. So, so uh, the answer to the question that, that all of us are asking is how did we get here? And that, and, and before you can start, <laughs> before you can start talking about solutions, you have to make sure that you have identified the problem correctly. And that's where tactical civics uh, really shines. Three problems. It's really quite simple. Problem number one, and this is where all of our other problems uh, begin, is that for generations in America, we have turned our backs on God. We are not a, uh, the Constitution and our founding was not 
the act of uh, godless secular uh, enlightenment philosophers. It was by Christians. The founding of our uh, of our republic began way before we ever declared independence, as uh, the first colonies began to spring up. And those colonies were led by pastors who began to form the ideas of self-government as they wrote their charters and and their colonial uh, constitutions. Right. And so that's what that's what our country is founded on, whether you know, whether we want to hear that, whether we like to hear it, uh, whether we want to keep. Uh, religion out of the conversation. Uh, so it's obviously not Judeo-Christian, then. <laughs> it's it's obviously not Judeo-Christian. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, no, it is very much Judeo-Christian, and uh, and there's you know there's a a um, significant amount of documentation that that demonstrates that. Look, the founders. The, the founders had a syllogism that they operated by. Uh, they believed that uh, virtue and morality were necessary for Republican government. And they believed that religion was necessary for virtue and morality, which, which then meant that religion was necessary for a Republican form of government. And they said as much uh, multiple occasions. And that's the first problem that we've got to deal with, Travis, is that we decided at a point in time that we could do things on our own, that we didn't need to appeal to the wisdom of God. Uh, we didn't need to uh, <laughs> we didn't need to lead with prayer, with uh, an appeal to the one from whom wisdom flows. We, we began to think that we were the source of our own existence, <laughs> and we're not. We began to think that we held within our own selves the fountains of wisdom, and we don't. And until we get that straight in our minds, uh, we're not going to get anything else straight. And God... Right. God let us have our way. He said, okay, sure, you want to do things on your own, then do things on your own. You think that you can, you can lean on your own understanding uh, without any light from me, go for it. Go right ahead. And so he let us. And, and, and the result of that has been the utter stupidity that happens when the, the limitations of human understanding are, are, are fully realized. And it's, you know, it's funny uh, you know, since we're talking about it, before I'll go any further, we're going to stay on this first problem for a minute. Uh, ben Franklin in the Constitutional Convention, and he was really uh, he was an unlikely guy to uh, to be the one to to realize this. But they they had spent nearly five weeks going around in circles. I don't know if you've ever read the, the record of debates of the Constitutional Convention, but they were going around in circles. They were arguing. They were divided over a number of different issues, and often the the no's were greater than the the yeses and all their, all their votes on different proposals. Well, it's a $275 Hang tight. Yeah. Let's finish that thought. One more minute. We've got another break real quick. tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org.
I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pasture-raised meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few highlights. Extendivite works in keeping my blood pressure in the normal range. I have been using Extendivite for many years. Great product. I use regularly and I rarely get sick. This product has relieved what appeared to be angina pain in my chest and shortness of breath after climbing stairs. I'm quite happy about it. My husband, son, and I have been using this product for a few months now, and we have noticed an improvement in our joints and blood pressure. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Well, it's a $275 charge, and it just says Iraq War. Yes, ma'am, that is correct. The Iraq War cost the average American family over $16,000 since the war started. Are you kidding? Well, I never signed up for that. I'm I'm sorry, ma'am, you don't sign up for the Iraq War. Back. Right. I'm talking with Jeff at Tactical Civics. Jeff, uh, yeah, let me let me help you here a little bit with the theology thing. I mean, regardless if you got a belief in in, in religion or not, we, we there's no arguing that this country's turned into a degenerate mess. I mean, we got people <laughs> that'll stab their mother in the back for five thousand um, dollars. Yeah. The, the fact that there's no morals, there's no ethics, you know, like buildings used to be built on a handshake deal back in the 30s. And now, like, you know, your reputation means nothing to some people like like they'll do anything for a dollar. And so so regardless of your um, religious views, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter as long as you're not going to stab me in my in you know my sleep, basically. So. Yeah, um, I totally, uh, you know, yeah, I get that. I want to I I just make sure you're able to, you know, get through everything else that you have to go through because 
religion will bog us down and you know like it's 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 a thing i i, I do agree with it you know if you're, if you're a satanist i got an issue with you man because you're kind of anti-god you're kind of anti-creation yeah. but you know at the end of the day like I, if, if you're not gonna stab me i'm not gonna stab you type thing you know yeah so well i i, I suppose uh and i don't want to get bogged down in it uh, but uh, yeah but, feel free uh, to add to it please yeah, well, uh, uh, you know, one, one of the uh, one of the things that we're doing in tactical civics is we're educating Americans on fundamental American civics, and and the fact is is you can't talk about American civics without talking about our spiritual roots. You just can't do it because it doesn't make sense. A system right. of self government doesn't make sense to be built on the foundation of a godless society it it doesn't work and and it doesn't work in logical and in, in logical for logical and rational reasons and we've lost the ability to have that discussion we've allowed in our present western culture we've allowed atheists to uh take center stage and uh and talk as if they're actually uh, submitting a philosophy to engage the mind or the will in the mysteries of being, but they're not. Atheism is merely a religion of consolation that that offers a palliative for existential grievances. Well, here's the deal. Look, if you want to supplant uh, you know one opiate for another, fine, but you you had better make sure that the opiate that you offer uh, uh, has the same power to uh, to deal with those existential grievances, and you know we you know look we could talk about Nietzsche and that he predicted everything that we've seen in the last hundred and fifty years, uh, the last uh, two hundred years. Uh, you know Nietzsche predicted it all. So, but I just want to take a second to point to the irony that at the Constitutional Convention, after five weeks of futility. They began in the middle of May, and here we are on June 28, 1787. And it takes a guy, Ben Franklin, who was probably, of all of the founders, the least inclined to talk or think religiously or spiritually. (laughs) But he's the guy that stands up and says, "Uh, excuse me, look, you know, we've been here for five weeks chasing our tails. We've gone through every, uh, you know, ancient form of government, modern European states and republics. We've looked at it all, and we're still chasing, uh, we're still chasing our tails. And then he says, all of us who were engaged in the struggle with Great Britain, when, when, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. He said, our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered, all of us, who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. And, you know, we live in a time we don't know anything of the kind of sacrifices that these guys were facing. Like they were looking at, at, they anticipated being strung up from the gallows somewhere is how they anticipated uh, everything. And, And they desperately threw themselves on the mercies of God. And so he said, you know, hey, look, when we were in war, we sure prayed a lot then. You know, the old saying, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Well, <laughs> it's true. When you're facing your ultimate end and life is, you know, precariously uh, uh, set on the edge, you start uh, looking a little deeper than uh, your own limited understanding. Well, and so, I, that, so I the agree. Sort there of should it is, be a lot more people doing that right now, but... It's yeah. kind of bizarre so, that uh, people seem to be under a spell, and <laughs> yeah, we got to wake up. And and that's a look. That's a part of our mission. You know, the, that's what we lead with. We tell people, 
you know, we, we don't we don't require people to have a statement of faith. We don't require people to be Christian to join tactical civics, but we also are are very clear that that's problem number one, and the solution to problem number one is repentance, and repentance fundamentally means a change in your thinking, that's then followed by a change in how you live, and so we're inviting people into a new way of life. So that's problem one. I'll leave that one there. That's problem right. one. Right. Now it's go spir- through problem two and three real quick. It's a sure. spiritual problem, and spiritual problems are incredibly resistant to non-spiritual solutions. So we're not going to be shy about that. Problem two is a legal problem, and that is that there's no enforcement of the Constitution. Why is that? Well, because we the people stipulate to ourselves and ourselves alone the authority to enforce the Constitution. And we used to know how that authority was exercised through our primordial law enforcement tools of grand jury and militia. Those were were, um, bedrock institutions in the evolution of English common law something that the founding generation almost took for granted but understood clearly. Had it not been for colonial grand juries, if you look at the history of grand juries beginning in 1634 in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, had it not been for those colonial grand juries, there never would have been a war for independence. It just simply would not have happened because the colonists understood their oath their independence, their authority, and their investigatory scope of grand jury. Because it's something that predated our Constitution by 700 years. They understood it uh, clearly, and had it not been for those grand juries, guys like John Hancock and his brother Ebenezer and half the other founders, Patrick Henry, they would have all been in jail because the crown had set up admiralty courts in the colonies, which were uh, essentially juryless courts where they right. could they could lay out charges, indict, prosecute, imprison without the involvement of a grand jury. Well, but <laughs> the grand jury was not just going to uh, fade away because it was a pillar of uh, English common law and of colonial life. And so let's John Hancock, 1769, six, uh, you know, seven years before the uh, Declaration of Independence, he's sitting in an admiralty jail. He's been uh, uh, charged with a crime uh, and, and, and imprisoned. And what happened was the Suffolk County Grand Jury indicted the Crown's key witness – and really only witness, and they indicted him on perjury because he was lying, <laughs> and the Crown was lying, and they were going to use this juryless admiralty court to put away John Hancock, but the Suffolk right. County Grand Jury issued an indictment against the key witness, and he fled because he knew that the power actually rested in the grand jury in terms of the capacity to indict and hold someone to answer for an infamous crime. And so he left. And because the Crown no longer had a witness, they had to release John Hancock. And there are story after story after story of how colonial grand juries uh, intervened. And so that was an understanding of the founding generation. You can hear James Wilson, who was you know, one of the, uh, the key founders, taught law at uh, the College of Philadelphia, George Washington and his entire cabinet were uh, taking classes. They were in his classes uh, that he taught uh, on, on law. He's one of the first great American legal scholars, and, and he was one of the first Supreme Court justices. And he describes the grand jury and, and, and says that, that it is a bulwark between elected servants and the people, those who are making laws and those uh, to whom laws are being applied. He said the grand jury is the bulwark, and, and, and his words precisely were that 
the investigatory scope or the inquiry powers of the grand jury were only limited by their own diligence. And then you move uh, 200 years later in a landmark Supreme Court case called U.S. versus Williams, and Antonin Scalia lays out the history of grand jury in this this uh, brilliant uh, uh, majority opinion. And he talks about in very explicit terms that the grand jury is under the aegis of the people alone. It's independent of the courts. It's independent of any apparatus of government or any branch of government. It's almost like a fourth branch of government that belongs to the people. And, and, and by it, the people can demand that a grand jury be impaneled merely on the suspicion that a crime is being committed or for the assurance that one is not being committed. Even, and this, these are Scalia's words, even if it involves judges. <laughs> James Wilson, he talked about holding elected servants accountable. That has always been the function of the people, and we stipulate that authority to ourselves in the Constitution. When we, when we describe militia and its function in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15, to enforce the laws of the union, quote, unquote. <laughs> that's right. our authority. And so we've lost. So that's where the militias play a part in the grand juries. And, so and, and from my understanding, this is the way it should be. Like, I mean, it's absolutely the way it should be. Absolutely the way it should be. Look, they uh, and, and we've got all the receipts. I mean, all you have to do is 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 just go back and read the correspondence of of the founders, of the statesmen of of uh, those new states that were created uh, after we declared independence. One of the first great Supreme Court decisions was Chisholm versus Georgia and Chief Justice John Jay. And he uh, wrote in that opinion that at the revolution, the sovereignty devolved onto the people and that we became collectively joint tenants in the sovereignty. And so there was something, there was a principle that was clearly understood by the founding generation. Uh, We, as the states began writing their constitutions, because they had dissolved uh, all connections with the crown, they now had to replace those connections, which were constitutional, Their grievances were all built on constitutional grounds. What they were accusing the crown of were violations of their fundamental constitution. And so they dissolved those bands. And so they had to replace it. And they began writing state constitutions. And you see in those constitutions the the principles and the change in thinking of, of how this young republic understood its its identity and what it was and what it meant to create a system of self-government where sovereignty and power rested in the people and so they wrote things like uh, in the in the uh, Vermont Constitution of 1777 which the founders used as a reference for the guarantee in Article One, Section Four, uh, Article Four, Section Four, where it says the United States guarantee to all the states individually a republican form of government. What were they thinking about? Well, the, what they referenced was the Vermont Constitution. That was the first, kind of the first in a long list of of, of references in the Vermont Constitution in Section Five says that all power being originally inherent in and consequently derived from the people, therefore all officers of government, whether legislative or executive, are their trustees and servants and at all times accountable to them. And so they just understood that power flowed from the people to the government, that the government existed by the collective will of the people and that the government was at all times accountable to the people, not just on election day, not just in courtrooms, but at all times accountable. And the people have always had the right 
to interpose whenever the government steps outside the bounds and the limits that we've given them. And we've just lost this understanding. We've lost this knowledge of of our sovereign power. But it's not a sovereign power that's exercised individually. I can't walk in to the court and say, hey, I think things are aren't going the way they should. I have some suspicions. I need you to impanel a grand jury. That's not the way our system works. Our system is uh, is a sovereignty that rests in the collective of we the people. And so that means we have to act in mass. And what Tactical Civics is doing is is creating a movement, a force mass movement to activate our law enforcement mechanisms through our model county ordinances. And so so we're building chapters. We are growing right now like crazy. Just in 2023, we began. We're a young. Uh, uh, we're we're a young organization. We at the beginning of 2023, we had 500 members in 280 counties. At the end of 2023, on December 33rd, uh, 31st, uh, we had grown from 500 members to 5,000 members, and we had gone from 280 counties uh, to. 1,100 and, no, nearly 1,300 counties. And so we are growing exponentially, and 2024 is going to be a landmark year. It's going to be a pivotal year because our growth is going to explode. We've, we've you know, it's, it's happening right now every day. We've got people uh, bundles of people, groups of people that are joining every day because they're beginning to see and understand that what we have is a real solution. And um, and it's a solution that is squarely built on constitutional grounds, which means that action cannot be taken against these two features of the Constitution. They can't oppose it because the Constitution explicitly uh, uh, stipulates it. And uh, who who ordained the Constitution? Did the government ordain the Constitution? Well, I'm I'm curious how the grand juries, how you'll be able to get the enough people to create the grand juries and um. You know, create the legislation and have the state militias, basically. Yeah, so uh, we don't have to create anything. It's already been created. It, it, it's the uh, grand jury militia are primordial. They predate our constitution. They predate any any state constitution. So what uh, all what we have to do is we just simply have to restore that authority in terms of obligating our county governments to acknowledge it. And so that's what we're doing. Um, We have two model ordinances. In order to pursue passage of those ordinances, we have to build our county chapters to uh, our target number, which is one half of 1% of the population. Uh, We have counties that that are in view of that number right now. All across America, we've got counties that are that that are are looking at that number. When we reach our critical mass, we uh, we move upon our county councils and our county magistrates, and we uh, bring them our model county grand jury ordinance. Now, obviously. There's going to be advanced work that's going to be done before we do that. We're not just going to walk in blind. We're, you know, we have a we have a strategy uh, in place, and we'll execute that strategy. But what our what our ordinance does is, is really powerful, and it's 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 uh, it's beautiful in its simplicity. It, it you know the or, an ordinance has the force of law at the county level. And so what we are binding our county governments to acknowledge and to accommodate are the, the principles of 
of grant of what grand jury is constitutionally. Uh, they we're binding them to recognize the independence of grand jury, to recognize the authority of grand jury, to recognize the people's that the people's will is the operative uh, mechanism that when the people determine and 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 we state this explicitly in our ordinance that when one half of one percent of the number of ballots cast in the last election so uh, let's just use my county as an example we've got forty five thousand people um, they're probably in, in our in, in in my county uh, maybe thirty percent of that uh, and of that population in terms of ballots cast and so in our ordinance we we obligate our county government that when one half of one percent of the number of ballots cast of citizens demand the impaneling of a grand jury to investigate suspected crimes by our public servants that that they're obligated the constituting court is obligated to impanel and that is a principle and a, a, a centuries-old principle of grand jury and of the court's role, which is not discretionary. The court's role is constituting. The only role that the court serves when it relates to grand jury is to impanel and administer the oath, and that's it. They don't have discretion. The court can't say, well, we don't think that your concerns merit impaneling a grand jury. That's not something the law doesn't give the court that discretion. Even even the totally corrupted federal rules of criminal procedure in our federal court system, which is you know so jacked up and, and that's something that we're going to deal with as well. Uh, but they even get it right in, in in the federal rules of criminal procedure that when the public good uh, requires it, the, the judge must impanel. It's it's just a, it's a premise of uh, of our system of common law. It's it's not even arguable. It's not it it it's no uh, no judge or lawyer uh, with <laughs> with any credibility at all is going to argue that that's not the case. And so our ordinance clarifies that and and binds the county government to acknowledge that principle. The other thing that our and, and this is brilliant. The other thing our ordinance requires of the county government is that a standby roster be created and that a portal on the county government website. So our ordinance requires the county government to uh, maintain a county grand jury web page on the county government's website. And on that web page, there's a button volunteer for grand jury. And so a person can submit their name to the county clerk, and we obligate the county clerk to maintain a standby roster that is created through that portal. And when, and whenever a grand jury needs to be impaneled, that roster has to be put into whatever pre-existing roster they use. That roster has to be included. Right. Talk about it. Hang tight. We got to break real quick. I think we skipped one. We'll get a little break here. Hang tight. Yes, I fear tomorrow I'll be crying. Yes, I fear tomorrow I'll be crying. Yes, I
would you say if I told you we have a new tool that will increase production and lower maintenance costs for your meat processing company, and it would pay for itself in just six weeks? When pigs fly! The new Ease-Off Model EZ4 replaces old spring-style carcass droppers and is faster, safer, and more reliable. The Ease-Off lowers or lifts 1,000 pounds to or from your rail automatically using our remote control. Sounds expensive! Can I afford it? Can you afford not to try the Ease-Off? It installs fast with just three bolts in place of your current dropper. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue and injuries, speed up your line, eliminate downtime, and increase profit. How can I order my Ease-Off? Go to easeoff.com, E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry, because we are offering $200 off on the new Easy 4 for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Ease off LLC. Summersville, Missouri. 417-932-6419. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Truth, truth.